This is Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing and debating whatever comes up of interest in creative culture. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. The format of this podcast is some light catch-up at the start, followed by two main items of news, one chosen by Eugene and one by myself. We pick our topics from the Making Briefing, which is an email newsletter we send out twice a week filled with current news, interesting links, and more analysis of culture. On Making It Up, we talk through the things we're most interested in and try to come to some sort of conclusion on the state of culture, media, tech, food, whatever may be in our modern times. Also, if you do one thing only to support this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you share your favorite episode with a friend. I notice I have a different view. Oh, I was wondering if you were going to notice. Yeah, it's very notable. I rotated my desk 90 degrees, let's see, 90 degrees clockwise. So I used to have the window to this side and now the window is in front of me. What was the reason behind that? Because the view I have actually is really good. And so it doesn't make sense to not face the view. So now I actually have a similar setup to the way you do, where you're also facing the nice view. Actually, I'm, I'm curious. I think we've talked about this before. The impact of a view on your ability to work. Have we talked about this? I think we have. Actually, it's not the view, I think, that really impacts me, but natural light is a big deal. And I think that's yeah, true na- for everyone. natural light is huge. Like as in the view does not have to be beautiful, right? And obviously that's like a subjective thing anyway. But having sunlight as opposed to artificial light, I think is generally scientifically proven to help. I don't doubt that. How's your week been post-exams? Dude, I've been sick, man. Like ill. As in, God, did you think it's funny how sick and ill have become synonymous with cool? In some context, yes. Yeah, I'm not. It's true. I don't mean it by cool. I mean, I've been unwell. (laughs) I think it's still lingering in my voice, actually. So people might be able to hear it. Yeah, I don't sound as good. And it's probably mad cold over there too, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that a myth though? It is. It's true. I mean, it's. I was actually going to comment more on the general physical discomfort of being in a cold place. Okay. Yeah. So like, I don't think you get cold and then get sick. You get sick. Yeah. That, that's a misnomer. The, that doesn't The sickness probably comes such. from being in school, which I kind of anticipated, right? Like being in an environment with a lot of... Proximity. Yeah. I definitely felt I got sick more often when I was in closer proximity with people. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. And I kind of knew that like coming into college, that would be a possibility. So here I am, I've gotten sick post exams. And also like, that's what happens to your body, right? Like it produces adrenaline to get you through something. And then once you're out of it, then it like fails you. So now I'm sick. And you're coming back to Hong Kong soon, right? Yes. Next week's recording can be done in person. Isn't that weird? So what do we get up to this past week? We put out the Macon Holiday Gift Guide. Yeah, that was actually really well done and actually quite quick oh. in terms of its execution. Thank you. Yeah. Do you know what I did? I what? went through users, like the Macon users, and I went through each name and I am quite familiar with the community. So if I see a name, then I'll remember usually what they've done. But then people I wasn't sure, I Googled them. Oh, yeah. So that's how I kind of got things together. Actually, as I mentioned, there there's certain things that might have been forgotten and or overlooked. But I mean, it's it's not deliberate. It's just that yeah. there's only so many things you can track on because I've just recently thought of some other names. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's like plenty of people and there's like plenty of people that maybe just joined or joined a long time ago. And then, you know, we had conversations in the past, but I couldn't remember them. Um, So I do want to do it again or have an ongoing thing. I think ongoing is good because it becomes a directory of cool independent creators. And people always need to shop for people, you know? Like, I think it's nice to, to get a more thoughtful gift. Yeah, yeah. Rather than getting a gift certificate, you know? Yeah, and it's like a really good story, I think, as well. If you can tell someone, oh, I got you this gift because I'm part of this community and this is someone who is also a community member. That's a really good story. Walk me through the 
art direction? Let's see. It's really a case of creating assets based off of what's available. So I definitely did not have the luxury of time, right? So I couldn't get products from people and then arrange like a dedicated photo shoot of those products using our own photographic style. So Mm -hmm. I found good images of the products that I was talking about online, but then I didn't want to reuse them wholesale because it would be this hodgepodge. No, it wasn't that it would look lazy, but it was like, it would be a mix, right? Of everyone else's photographic styles. And I would have to crop them some way anyway to make sure like they were all kind of consistent across the board. So I wound up putting them, cutting them out, putting them against solid colored backgrounds. And then I added the text kind of because I wanted to highlight the makers as well. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of gift guides, it would probably just be like the brand name, you know? But Mm -hmm. because we were saying, hey, this holiday gift guide is from our community, I want to also name the specific people who had created the things that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm I'm just really happy that I get to celebrate the people who make stuff. I mean, whether or not people actually do their Christmas shopping off of this list, I guess we can't really say. But the fact that people are, might be being put on to something new is cool. And actually, did Elphick tell you that because of this gift guide, he got in touch with the Lander people? Oh, So he saw the gift guide and he was like, oh, hey, Sharice, I didn't know that we had lander people in our community. And I was like, yeah, let me connect you. And then I got all of them on a Slack group chat together and it's already a magical thing. That's dope. I guess that's kind of the whole goal behind everything. Yeah, but it like worked immediately. (laughs) So it's pretty cool. What's up with you? I've been thinking about this a lot, like in terms of as we close out the year in terms of timing and how people's digital habits change, not for any particular reason so much as like, I think everyone's go, go, go virtually throughout the whole year. I mean, you do get these sort of global holidays that a good amount of people celebrate, but now it's kind of the point in time where like I personally look forward to because it kind of slows down. And I think that having that opportunity is I guess something everyone is starting to recognize more and more. I mean, everybody is not everybody, but having that, that, that ability to see that, Hey, you know what? Like spending time with friends and like thinking about things in a different capacity because you have the ability to just interact with people and, and be brought together, I think is always really interesting and important. Um, and also it's just like, <laughs> I was watching this Netflix documentary called American meme. This documentary talks about a bunch of well known. Instagram celebrities, well, celebrities, whatever, influencers, whatever you want to call them. What makes it interesting is like, I think that it does a good job of uncovering how people actually feel in terms of being always on in regards to social media and having a persona to upkeep. And just the reality that a lot of these people aren't that happy. I mean, it it goes without saying, right? I think that the stats have often shown themselves as like, oh, people are genuinely not happy by virtue of being always online, always on social media. But then the people that have the fame, you can tell they're just as miserable, despite the fact that money and fame is supposed to make up for the challenge of being on social media, right? And there's actually some pretty interesting people. I think the most interesting one was uh, Kirill Buczynski. I'm probably saying that wrong. And this is bad because like, so one of the guys is um, goes by the name Slut Whisperer. And it's interesting because he just talks about his life and how he hates people. And the only way he can interact with the people at these parties, which is part of his persona, is to get super drunk, like blackout drunk. That but does not like, sound good. It's actually bad that I can't pronounce his name because I think I've, just almost tuned out his name and just known to reference him as the slut whisperer. It's also a terrible yeah. handle. Well, I mean, oh my God, he's doing it, but uh, it's interesting. I think that I don't know what, why people, despite the fact they, this, this whole world seemingly looks awesome. I think that, I don't know why people fail to realize that maybe 
beneath it all is not so great? Or do you think it's because they're coming from a place that just generally isn't good to begin with? So anything is an upgrade. What do you mean? You mean regular people? Like whoever's aspiring to be the next slut whisperer or the next Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian, is it born from a place of general disdain for their own lives? Or is it because they believe that there's something empowering about the fame and fortune? I think as much as we know in our heads that that life is not glamorous and is unsexy and not fun and people are miserable, we don't really know it. Like I would question that even you, despite what you know and having watched this documentary, when you're on Instagram, it's hard to always remember that because that's not what you see in social media. Yeah. yeah. That's not well, I'm all, what's I guess outward thing facing. I too is that how does our surroundings influence our desires, right? And I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the other thing that you mentioned too, right? Like if you are in a small town and you don't have access to a creative community around you, then aspiring to be something like those accounts on Instagram seems like a realistic way to get a similar experience or just something different from what you have. Should we get right into it? Let's do it. All right. So my subject, and I'm curious, should we be doing better research on first and last names and how to pronounce them? I feel like that's often (laughs) something that we're lacking. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I am looking at what you need to read. And I realize why you're asking this. I don't know, man. I think just like own the fact that we cannot possibly know how to pronounce things correctly. Sometimes it is challenging because if it's a unique last name or first name, you have to also rely on the source being correct. And sometimes you can't get the actual person to enunciate their name, right? But one thing that I think we could be better at is if we said their last names with more of an affirmative tone as opposed to a questioning tone. And then we said, I actually don't know how to pronounce this. So instead of saying Lucas Cagliata, you would say exceptional advertising by Lucas Cagliata. All right. Apologies if that was wrong. Okay. Anyways, I'm going to get right into it. (laughs) You've, You've kind of jumped right into it. My topic this week is Malcolm Gladwell and exceptional advertising. An article by Lucas Cagliata. That's what I'm going with because I think it might be Italian. Sounds very good. Okay. So this was a rather interesting article because I think the reason why it's compelling is that it takes something that we all experience, but it goes really in depth, almost in a a nerdy way, right? An analysis that I personally You say we all experience, but... If you are listening to this podcast, you have not experienced it. If this is the only podcast you listen to. True. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> uh, let me, let me, I guess, preface Sorry, that. Keep going. If you listen to various podcasts, including super popular ones, you'll often hear this form of native advertising at the beginning, middle, and potentially the end of the podcast. And it's often done as a host read, which means the host will introduce and sell and pitch a product. And obviously, by virtue of the host reading it, the goal is to bring a level of familiarity because it's not some jarring thing that's just thrown in. And hopefully, they find a way to spin it in a way that's relevant to the user base or the listener base. Hey, just for fun, do you think you can remember an ad off the top of your head? from one of the popular podcasts? Or wait, before I ask that question, do you skip the ads? No, because this is an interesting thing because people that are... Oh, oh, I walked right into this. I, I know already where this is going. Oh my God. Okay, no, keep going. No, keep going, keep going. People that speed listen are less inclined to skip ads because it goes through faster. I regret asking that question. Yeah. yeah. So um, Eugene listens at, what is it, 1.6? Well, it depends. Like anywhere from 1.6 to 2.0. Oh. 
Right. So you have no incentive to skip ads because they just go by in like five seconds instead yeah, of 15. Yeah. So, I skip ads. Yeah. I skip ads. So I guess to kind of bring it back in after you derailed the intro. Thanks, Sharice. Hey, man. I wanted to know if you could remember any ads off the top I of your head. I remember brands. I remember less like the exact story behind it. But I, I recognize there's a story or an, a very definitive... How, how do I reset this? I don't necessarily remember the very specifics, but I always recognize or remember the brand that's being sold. I think I can remember the Harry's ad pretty thoroughly. To get back into it. So in the Western world, and I say the Western world because I basically reference like the Americas and I guess Europe, the native ad is an important part of monetization for podcasts. I have to preface that because actually in China, they do a really good job of monetizing in a direct-to-consumer way where basically you as a listener might find a way to tip or pay for a subscription to a podcast. That is so cool. Yes. I actually think that China in general as a market does a far better job of monetizing media than the Western world. They do. Which is very reliant on advertising. Well, it's because... Well, sorry to derail this again. But it's fine. It's we both, fine. <laughs> we both know roughly the history of advertising. Yeah. I feel like I read a book about it that you recommended to me. Anyway, we know about the history of advertising, how, you know, in television, they had to make the shows profitable. And that has just been the model that the Western world has applied to absolutely everything that has come out ever since. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, it was newspapers first. Sorry, before TV, it was the And news. obviously the shitty thing is, is that for advertising to be as successful as possible, it needs to be hyper-targeted and you need a lot of information and data about people's background to achieve that, which is where the shit generally falls apart. But that's not really the purpose of this so much as... Um, just talking about the way Malcolm Gladwell approaches advertising. Well, you know, it's podcast. so funny because every episode we go into it and we almost never think about how do topic one and two relate to each other. But now I see how they relate. We're bringing this back in. We're bringing this back in. Okay. I don't know why this so, one's a little bit out of there. Okay. So we're okay. talking about advertising on podcasts and we're talking about native ads. And so we talked a little bit about the standard host reads that most podcasts do. Yeah, which is often a script. So I know this for a fact because we've been asked in the past to do it. And I guess while we're already here and we're doing multiple tangents, the reason why we personally didn't feel comfortable engaging in these ads were, I don't know, they just didn't really feel as though they were super relevant to our core demographic. And if you want to go to the next step, like who's someone that I would feel comfortable advertising on one of our podcasts, I think any sort of creative tool would be great. Uh, something that is also very global. So what I mean by that is like, if it's an advertiser who is based in the US, like, I guess, yeah, we do have a large contingency of listeners there, but I would want something that's a little bit more global and also maybe more service orientated on the basis of helping you create better or making your life more efficient as it pertains to the creative culture. Such as... Adobe Creative Cloud, but maybe not them specific. Dropbox. Like, ooh, Dropbox is a good one. MailChimp. Like these are actually things that I, I personally, we use too, also right? Also that we use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so, Zoom. Anyways. This podcast is already brought to you by Dropbox and Zoom in reality. So, <laughs> Okay, so the article by Lucas Cagliata is not just about advertising in general, but a specific kind of advertising on podcasts. This would probably be a good time for me to play you an ad, but, you know, Sharice and I actually spent a good chunk of time trying to find the most recent ads that reflect this, but but actually a lot of his previous recordings don't have ads anymore, and we suspect it's because Malcolm Gladwell has left Slate's Panoply, which is the previous company that he helped produce these podcasts with. And instead, he's launched his own company. And do you know what it's called? Pushkin. Pushkin. So having said that, unfortunately, you'll just have to take our word for it. But what I found most interesting, and I'm trying to think too, is like, how much context do you lose by not being able to hear the ads? Well, I don't think... 
it would have been that relevant to our listeners anyway, because if you don't have a relationship with Malcolm Gladwell, then his ads would actually sound pretty cheesy. No, but I think that it's it's about how he delivers them. Well, Anyways. I, no, but I don't think it's just about how he delivers them. And that's not this author's argument either. It's that the host of a podcast has to try and make an ad or should try to make an ad fit with their podcast style. So the best example yeah. is the one actually from Revisionist History, in my opinion. Do you want to yeah. talk about that ad? The one about the Roman Empire and ZipRecruiter? So yeah, I can talk about uh, one of the ads that were highlighted. And what's interesting is that what Gladwell does really well is that he kind of brings you into this unexpected place that kind of has some sort of relation to his own interests. So one of the first ads that are spoken about, Malcolm Gladwell talks about, like many of you, I spend a lot of time thinking about the fall of the Roman Empire. And let me just read you the names of the last five emperors before everything went to hell in a handbasket. Anthemius, Olibrius, Glycerius, Julius Nepos, Romulus, Augustulus. Of course, I messed <laughs> up all their names, but I was just going to run through it because <sighs> they're hardly important. This is quite random relative to the actual podcast itself. But and he it, goes on to no, say... No, but it's not, that's not it. It's not random to the podcast itself. That's the argument. The argument is the ad is structured like the podcast. I guess what I'm trying to say is that like the the unexpectedness of the ad is is something that I think is the draw of it because... But it's, it's prefaced with an ad from our sponsor. Yeah, it is. It is because there's not meant to be... So Malcolm Gladwell toes this line where he balances a thing being an ad and a thing still being genuine. Yes. So I guess... I, so I guess it has to be apparent that it's not the podcast right? Because it can't be the thing that you are there to consume. It's a separate thing, but it can I, I like, also be I don't know. I don't know if your, by itself. Your and I's difference comes down to just like the actual execution of it. Because for me, I think that I see, I guess I'm more comparative in regards to how he does it relative to the norm within the industry. And you're looking at Add it more from the context of how it fits directly within the stuff he already does. Well, I was just arguing because you said it was random and I don't think it's random. I, But I'm saying it's random relative to how the general norm of the industry does its podcast ads. Okay. I does that make that. sense? Yeah. No, I, I think that's why that. we're kind of like... But I wouldn't use the word random still. Yeah. Well, I think the way I look at it is that it's not just a very direct read. What he does is bring in some sort of external story or some sort of thing that that ties back to his experiences in selling a product. Anyways, to, to continue onwards, he says, I know what you're saying. You're saying, I've never heard of any of these emperors. And that's my point. They were all terrible. They ended up beheaded, poisoned. What do you think would happen to the rest of the Romans? And he goes on to say, and this is where the advertiser comes in, if only there was ZipRecruiter for the Roman Empire, because if the Roman Empire had a tool for helping them find the best emperors, maybe they'd been able to find a leader who could hang on to his head. And the ad continues more about ZipRecruiter. Yeah, and then kind of explains what it is. So for me, what's interesting is that the reason why this, this, this whole topic actually was interesting to me was... Two parts. The first one being that I think advertising and bad advertising as we know it often comes down to the fact that we believe it to be unrelated to our interests or it has no value. Right. On the flip side, I'm also curious how finding inventive ways of serving ads allows us to pay attention. Even though I've never used ZipRecruiter, I'm so familiar with it because of a different way of putting this in front of me, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think, does that become the metric of success is just really about the visibility of it and the fact that I have awareness over something that even though I don't use it, it now becomes ingrained in my head because like if someone's asking to recruit somebody, I'm like, oh, like, 
Well, Malcolm Gladwell said this thing about ZipRecruiter. Maybe you can check that out. The most basic thing about advertising is to get people to just watch it, right? And remember it. Yeah. So um, I'm curious. This is like, like the most basic thing about all types of advertising. Yes. Like getting the little pre-YouTube video to be compelling enough that you don't just hit skip ad. My, my thing now is, do you think that native advertising as we know it, especially in the context of the way Malcolm Gladwell has presented it, is actually valuable and something of interest, even okay, though it's selling is why, something. This is why what I was saying earlier is relevant because... The reason why Malcolm Gladwell's read works for him is because it's very Malcolm Gladwell. And if you're not a fan of Malcolm Gladwell, I don't think that this read would necessarily work. But that's that's kind of where I disagree because if you strip away the delivery, it's about telling a story, right? And what I'm trying to argue is that if native No, but it's not just reads, telling a story. I I push back. It's not just telling a story. It's a very specific, there's this thing in history that's kind of weird. And let me but tell you why story, it's though. weird. No, it I know it's be. a story, but it's not just a story in general. It's a very specific type of story. I agree. Yeah, but it's still that a story. I know it's so still a story, I'm but I'm not say saying we can all do Malcolm Gladwell specific read. You can turn ads into kinds of stories, but not like Gladwell story. But I don't think you can be like, hey, this person told a story and related it back to an advertiser that that all of a sudden is the Malcolm Gladwell way of doing things. What I'm trying to argue for is that having some sort of reference point and tying it back to a story is ultimately what is the most interesting and captivating thing about these native podcast reads and these these types of ads. And what I'm trying to say is that perhaps if this becomes sort of the new barrier for what a host read could look like, I think it brings immense value because the story itself has a level of value to it. So I guess I maybe... Do, what, I think what, there are different kinds of ways... Okay, I, I'm not saying that this is not successful. I think Gladwell's read is also successful. I don't think that this has to be a template for everyone else to do native advertising from. But the thing is, it's not really a template so much as having an understanding that I'm I'm tying it back to something beyond just like telling you about this. You know what I mean? I think it's the story for me. That's so, I know what you're saying though is so general, right? Tying it back to something else is so general that you can't say, oh, it has to look like Gladwell's. Can you rephrase that? Because you said native, native advertising should just work on tying the ad back to something else. Like having a, a reason to create relevance, basically. Right. And I agree with that. I think what I am disagreeing with is that it doesn't have to look like Gladwell's. I think Gladwell's Gladwell works specifically its, for him. I think you're you're looking at the the sort of like execution of how he ties it to something kind of quirky. Like that's what you're arguing, right? I don't know. I feel like that's what... I feel like you're trying to suggest more people do it like him. I'm suggesting more people actually relate it back to some sort of story as the entry point. So like, let's use this. Let's but it use this doesn't have to example. be like Gladwell. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, let me let me explain to you what I deem to be a Gladwell thing. I'm going to off the cuff make up some ad for a product. Okay. So it'll be like along the lines of, so Sharice and I are working across, you know, multiple time zones and we're trying to organize our editorial schedules. We had so much problem using Google Documents because of XYZ. Lo and behold, Dropbox came into the picture and Dropbox Paper through its seamless integration actually made our life so much easier. Like that's kind of the same shit. I mean, I, I came up with okay. that on the spot. Okay. Isn't that the same shit? No, because I think the Gladwell thing is the thing in history that you don't know about. But I think that in like, general, I think it's that like, is a very revisionist history thing. Like... Something in history that yes. maybe you thought you knew, but it turns out like... I, I, don't get me wrong. I think revisionist history and the way it runs its ads are sort of the pinnacle. But I'm saying like, instead yeah. of saying like, do you need help with organizing yeah. your files? Then get Dropbox. Yeah. Um, right? I think I think we have finally reached the same page here. I think we just use words differently, you and I. That's fine. To That's mean fine. different things. Because um, I'm thinking of two other podcasts where I don't skip the ads. Okay. 
One of them is akimbo. And what akimbo does, do you know akimbo? Seth Godin. Yes. Right. What akimbo does is they do two really short ads. They're like 10 seconds, maybe. So first of all, you can hardly skip them because they're so short. And the thing that they do is that in the first 10 seconds, they ask a question. And then in the second 10 seconds, which comes like two thirds into the show, they answer the question. And the weird thing is like, oh, and the question is not related to the product. The question is like, I don't know, kind of similar to revisionist history. No, I think one of them was about Vikings. Like why did Vikings X, Y, Z? So that format totally pulled me in because it's a question that has no answer. And then I have to wait for the answer. Yeah. And the second podcast where there are ads that I don't skip is on no such thing as a fish. And when they advertise for The Economist, they'll read a fact from The Economist. So every time they do the ad, they tell you a different fact. But I think for those, the pool is novelty. So I know that each read is actually going to be different, which works as well for what you're saying. Yeah, I think that just having some sort of value add to it beyond just the fact that this is like, hey, this is what I'm talking about. And then it stops there. It's like a point of relation, right? You know what a good ad for us would be? What? If there was a product like Dropbox, but then our ad is me and you debating over why that's the best feature of the product. I could actually really hear that. And I don't think people would skip it. Just by virtue of us talking about it. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good, that's a good idea to put on the back burner when, when we do get that opportunity. Oh my goodness. I don't even know how to wrap this up. But I guess the connection is that the more people that are listening to podcasts in the next few years means that advertising in some kind of shape or form is going to increase. I'm curious for these people that do these these reads, how difficult or easy it is. Like, do you think it's like a, a, a light lift or a heavy lift? I mean, it's a heavier lift than reading a script someone of course, gives you. Of course. But, but I'm just beyond like, that, I don't think it's that heavy. I guess, you know what it is, is that... At this given moment in time, since a host is reading it, there has to be a stronger conviction for the product because your voice is directly associated with it. Yeah. So maybe that's why the quality of hosted ads are actually higher because you have to say it with a level of confidence that is different from seeing it on a banner on your website. Yeah, that's true. There's a very direct human cosine. It's evident, right? When you read something without conviction. Yeah. It would be difficult to make that sell. That's interesting. I think that's simultaneously the value of it, but also the challenge of it, right? Because it's hard for you to scale hosted ads like that. Yeah. No, it's it's not really scalable. If you need to scale, you go to pre-recorded. Should we move on? Yes. That was it. That was a clusterfuck of a first topic. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, because we took 20 minutes out to try to find an ad. My subject this week is something that's been in the news quite a lot, well, at least our circle of news. And it's about the Tumblr adult content ban. The article that we're specifically drawing from is called The Internet is Getting Small and Boring, Long Live Tumblr. So I'm just going to give some facts first as to what happened this past week. Tumblr announced that they will be removing all of the not suitable for work, sensitive adult content from their website. And in some ways, this is a good thing. And it's good for removing child pornography, which was found on the website and like found on the platform. And it's good for removing revenge porn, which is also something that's hosted on the site. And ways in which it's not so great is that it's not good news for adult content creators and erotic artists who rely on the site to earn their living. And these people, maybe they're not even producing work that is really explicit, but just explicit enough to not get past the Tumblr ban. What I think needs to be mentioned is there's actually a worry for some other people that this might open up the doors for other types of bans and a reduction of just quote unquote safe spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Just to give also a little bit more background, Tumblr is owned by Yahoo since 2013 and Yahoo in turn is owned by Verizon. So actually this is the connection to your subject because of that Yahoo Verizon ownership, they the speculation behind the adult content ban is that they need to be putting more advertising on the Tumblr platform. And in order to do that, they need to remove some of the not safe content. Questionable stuff. Yeah, remove the questionable stuff. And yeah, there's a concern that because of what Verizon and Yahoo are doing, that this will spread to all corners of the internet, plus is actually already happening, right? Just there are no governed safe places for creative sexual expression that isn't illegal. Okay. Like, yes, obviously there are illegal issues like child porn and porn bots. And those are problems that need to be fixed. But there are also things that are happening that were happening on Tumblr and previously sites like Tumblr, where people were figuring out, you know, who they are and maybe creating work that helped them work that out for themselves. And where does that go, right? Like Tumblr not having a space for it doesn't mean that these people suddenly don't exist or don't have a need for places like Tumblr, right? Mm -hmm. And so one thing I came up with while I was researching this is the blanket ban that Tumblr has done hurts the vulnerable people the most because bad actors will always find a way to survive. As in the blanket ban is not an effective solution against bad actors, but does really quickly push out people who don't have anywhere to be or don't so have basically, resources to help themselves. What you're saying is that these people don't really care about the platform anyways. They're just using it for distribution. And by virtue of you taking a stand on them, you're hurting the actual community, the one that uses yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like the blanket ban is supposed to prevent things like child pornography and revenge porn and porn bots from happening. But the people who do those things, like these, you know, what I'm calling bad actors, they will go everywhere. You know, like you said, they're just using Tumblr as a distribution platform. They're not suddenly arrested. You know what I mean? Like they're just going to keep finding ways around the barriers. But what the blanket ban does do is keep your community from gathering together. Anyway, okay. So the article specifically, I'm kind of drawing on two articles, one from Kotaku and one from BuzzFeed News. And they talk about how Tumblr is an important platform because it allowed for really weird, quirky communities to be created and to talk to each other in ways that there aren't a lot of platforms anymore. And some people in the comments were saying like MySpace and LiveJournal um, were previously like Tumblr as well, but they've also faded away. And the concern is that because of what Verizon and Yahoo are doing to Tumblr, then users will also like mass exodus from Tumblr. And where will they have to go? What's interesting is that Tumblr itself is already kind of going down the shitter anyways. Yeah, it was so basically since it, 2013. It's, it's not like it was relevant at the start of the year. And now it's increasingly more irrelevant. Yes. And the people that it was speaking to, the community... And it's interesting because generally speaking, the more passionate your community, the more important they are because they're the people that will support you, right? Like they have a a reduced sensitivity towards whatever it takes to monetize, to be monetized, et cetera. Yeah. But I also am curious if you felt there was any other way around this beyond just more stringent. Well, I mean, it's obviously like hindsight is twenty twenty, but I just don't see how the people at Tumblr have really talked to the people in their community about what they want and what would work for them. It's like the people who make slightly sexy art don't want child porn on the site either, you know? And like those people would be happy to figure out a way that keeps their art on the platform, but under safe restrictions 
and child porn off of the platform. You know, I think there are more creative solutions that weren't considered. Like you could have blogs be required to be private or you could have better labeling, you know, as in what was over 18 and what was suitable or not suitable. Like Uh, these are just random, like off the top of my head, but there are better solutions. These aren't actually taken from anyone else's insights as to how to offer a solution. No, that that was off the top of my head. Right. So like if I can come up with that in the course of this podcast that I just feel like if you had actually taken six months to think about how you could retool your platform to nurture the community you have, plus get rid of the bad actors, like you could come up with something better. Got it. No, that's, that's interesting because saving Tumblr is obviously in the interest of Yahoo, but I don't know if they know how to do it. And also what's interesting is that over the course of the history of the internet, how many once popular platforms have been able to reinvent themselves and reemerge? Mm. It's either that's a good question, Eugene. Because if something falls like a MySpace, like they have not proven to be able to return back to even a a shadow of its former glory. That is such a good question because I also think we've seen Snapchat decline, you know, and it's still up in the air, you know, can Snapchat turn it around? Can they reinvent themselves? We are seeing Facebook decline in a way. Some people would say Facebook is too big to fail. And obviously there are a lot of people in developing countries that still use Facebook for totally different purposes, like business purposes that we aren't familiar with. But it is an interesting question. Like I was a Zanga user. And Zanga never came back. Because ultimately, if you lose the the vote of the youth, they're kind of your place of velocity, right? It's like, that's where you onboard new people. Yeah. So it's almost as though if you end up losing the youth vote, the quote unquote youth vote, then you're kind of stuck. You're. It's hard to turn it back around because unless you can successfully pivot into that space. Like, I mean, let's say, like, let's just map out like a trajectory of MySpace was really big and then it fell off. And then when it tried to reemerge, it needed to find a way to reconnect. Like, let's put it this way. What's that app, TikTok? Yeah. You're like, what wait, if wait, MySpace, hang on. I don't know. Is it? No. I'm, it is. Oh, it is we're TikTok, such old think, people. Right? But what I'm saying is that, like, maybe that would have oh, been MySpace's. You've been hanging out approach, with Lily. Right? That was probably how it would need to kind of reemerge into uh, a former a former glory. Right. But, yeah. But that's the thing is that I think that you have to also not be precious for what you were known for. So I guess in the for the sake of Tumblr, like for them to actually recreate relevance, they need to remove themselves from the lane they're in currently and pick a different lane. No, I don't think so. So Kate's Holderness, the author of this BuzzFeed news article about Tumblr, she argues that Tumblr isn't going to die as quickly as people have been talking about. And she makes that argument because she says Tumblr is full of all these really small, kind of weird, weird, not like in an NSFW way, but like weird as in just not mainstream ways, right? Quirky communities who have lots of many different kinds of interests and people who are really passionate about the stuff they're interested in. And she says like all these little small communities, they don't have really other places to go and they've all banded together on Tumblr. So they'll keep it going. You know, it's like people who are really into the K-pop band BTS or people Mm -hmm. who are really into birds and people who are really into Benedict Cumberbatch on Sherlock, you know, like these kinds of small communities over really niche things. I guess to that point though, it's these people can grow with the platform, but if you're not onboarding new users and new people aren't entering the mix, that's where it becomes the most challenging, right? But that's what I think that Tumblr should have doubled down on is that to say, hey, we are a place where you can come and talk about your particular creative little thing and find people who are into that with you. 
Because Correct. I do think Tumblr I don't is the most suited that, for that. That is not the reality right now, though. Yeah, totally. That's why is we're not. having this, right? Yeah, so totally is not. But I think that's what Tumblr is. Like, like, I think that's what Tumblr is as its identity. And Yahoo and Verizon don't understand that. And they want to make Tumblr look more like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And that is a mistake. I think we're definitely on the same page in regards to that. That's cool. I don't know how you would save it because... <laughs> Yahoo also doesn't have a great track record. <laughs> Yahoo has a really shit track record. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Were you ever really big into Tumblr, though? Actually, I was. I was. What type I, of I user still have you? a... Oh, my goodness. I think I... I changed my handle. It used to be What Did We, but now it's Sure Is Nice, which is my... One everywhere. I actually have a pretty big archive too. I would be sad if it went away. Um, I mainly used it not to talk to people though. I mainly use it as a place to collect just visual references. Yeah. This is weird. It makes me feel like I'm telling people to follow me on Tumblr. Don't because I will never respond. Quick scroll through. One second. I never really used it. I think the reason why I never really used it was because it was primarily a visual tool, right? I know people would write on it, but... It's primarily visual. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm never... I've never really been that visual of a person. (laughs) I'm only laughing because we only just talked about online about you not being a person who listens to music and now you're coming out as a person who's not into visuals. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing. Okay. I I got onto Tumblr in May of 2009. So you're coming up on your 10th anniversary. Yeah. Um, And I posted a a lot from 2010 to about 2015, I would say, and then kind of stopped after that. What would what would pull you back into the Tumblr world though? Or is that something that is has that ship already sailed and you're never gonna return to Tumblr? No, I think about it every now and then. I think what keeps me from that's a good question. I don't know. I, I actually don't think that it's that Tumblr wasn't appealing enough for me. It's just that my habits kind of changed. I think the period of time when I was using it the most was actually when I was in my undergraduate program and I needed to find a lot of visual references and then I Mm -hmm. needed to store them somewhere. And now where I'm at, I guess the way I find visual inspiration is different. This is really weird. I mean, why am I, I don't know why I'm bringing it back into this, but what's something that you used 10 years ago that you still use now? Ooh, do you even have something like that? The closest thing? Well, I never really was that big into Twitter, but Twitter seems to be the one thing that actually has been relatively time resistant. I mean, email. <laughs> email, email for sure. Um, I know that's not what you meant, but my Gmail is at least 10 years old. That's a good question. You you ask good questions today about platforms. The thing I mean, that I'm, bring I'm MSN to... back. I'll use MSN. Because the thing I'm trying to get at is that I think so many platforms are so situationally based that it's so difficult to make a mass product that can grow with people. Yeah, I hear you. I get what you're saying. I mean, you could probably say, oh, I've used an iPhone for a while. Like that's kind of a a technological tool, right? But I I, I guess in some ways messaging in itself is like one thing and then everything else is like... Slightly different. Like, I mean, WhatsApp maybe, but I, I almost view that and categorize that yeah, differently. It's, it's not. I view messaging like calls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like dialing now. Like we don't even use the phone as much anymore. If yeah. You if you think about it, texting really has replaced what you would use phone calls for because you can text restaurants as well and book a table and you can text a salon and book a hair appointment, you know, like that's what I would have used the phone for previously. Platforms. No, I don't think one exists. If I pick Tumblr back up, it would be the longest, I guess, because I was on Tumblr before I was on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, Instagram and Twitter are probably the two for me. But Instagram's not that long. When, it's not when that did long. we first it's get on Instagram? Long. Like 2013. Five or six years, maybe. Yeah. But it's interesting because Facebook... I see myself 
becoming increasingly disinterested in baseball. Oh, I, didn't I tell you I deactivated? Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Why? Yeah. It just didn't seem useful anymore. But it it's neither here nor there if it's like were you getting messages or pings uh, or notifications? I just wanted to see if I could do it. I've been deactivated for three months now. And you were not missed. No. Definitely not missed. No. I mean, the only thing would be like, let's say my job required it and I had to do more social media management, then I guess maybe I'd have to get back on. But all right. My conclusion on the Tumblr subject is that Tumblr could have done a better job. No. um, That platform runners don't always understand what the appeal is of their own platform. Platform runners. Can we platform call them platform runners. operators? Yeah. We- <laughs> platform runners. I was trying to think what, what you're the trying to say. The people who there. run platforms. Okay, sorry. Let me say it again. I think my conclusion is that the people who run Tumblr and in a wider sense, the people who manage platforms may not always understand the appeal of their own platform. And yes, action has to be taken to make a platform grow and to also stop illegal things from happening. I definitely think illegal things need to stop happening. But the way you go about that mm, requires more tailoring to make sure that the people who are genuinely part of your community don't get pushed out. Yeah, that's my conclusion. Should we wrap it up? Yes, that's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com. M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com and Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. Oh, wait, don't turn it off yet. Don't turn it off yet. I wanted to troll you while recording. Okay. Is it troll? I don't know. Maybe it's giving you applause. So I've screenshotted our friend Ambrose's Instagram stories. Wait, to give everyone full background. So our friend Ambrose on IG stories, he says food review, right? And then he takes a picture of a burger, I guess. And then there's nothing else after that. There's just no text. He said he got lost in the sauce. Maybe he was like in the middle of doing something. And then Eugene called him out for it. And it says, Eugene can, this is the worst review. Is it a cop or not? I was like, Eugene being so true to form in all times possible. (laughs) I was like, this is the worst Instagram story ever. Don't say it's a review and then stop short. I should probably, you know what? I should screenshot what I sent to him and send it back to you so you can understand. But it doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> I just think it's so funny that you hold people accountable on their social media behavior. Uh, Eugene Kidd, uh, IG, IG Stories Cop. Watch out. Uh, okay, that's all. We can stop recording now. <laughs>